this week's edition of the Fact Checker podcast. Before we get started, let's introduce the team. Uh, my name is Marissa Payne. I'm the Gazette Cedar Rapids government reporter. I'm Erin Jordan. I'm an investigative reporter. I'm Michaela Ram. I'm the Gazette's healthcare reporter. And I'm John Steffi. I'm the Gazette's business reporter. Well, the things are beginning to wind down at the state house. They were supposed to wind down a, a couple weeks ago, but you know, it's okay. We're still trucking along in Des Moines. So we have a fact check for you this week, taking a look at some claims that were made during debate about the mandatory diversity training, banning the discussion of certain topics, um, that piece of legislation. So in, in arguing against this piece of legislation, uh, House File 802, state House Democrats have made the business case for recruiting and retaining a diverse population to fill Iowa's labor shortage in a push against this uh, Republican piece of legislation that limits diversity training at schools and government entities. Senator Sarah trone Giriot, who's a Democrat from Windsor Heights, during remarks during the April 28th debate on the Senate floor over House File 802, she emphasized diversity as being key to Iowa's success and its ability to keep talented workers in the state. This bill specifically would ban from uh, mandatory trainings the mention of certain topics such as teaching that the U.S. or the state of Iowa is fundamentally or systemically racist or sexist, and that individuals are inherently oppressive based on their race or sex. It also states that such training should not make anyone feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of their race or sex. And, and this bill still awaits Governor Reynolds' signature uh, before it becomes law, but it has been passed by both chambers. So Trone Garriott, who's a first-term state senator in the minority party, said, quote, in Iowa, net overall migration in 2020 was negative. We lost 2,348 folks who left this state. We rank 45th among states in ethnic diversity. So taking a look into the numbers that she, uh, that she mentioned during floor debate, the fact checker reached out to her for sourcing, and she, she actually did cite a presentation um, that she had heard earlier that day with the Iowa Business Council and Clive Chamber of Commerce, and then she, she pointed the fact checker to those groups for sourcing. So reached out to, to them, and the Iowa Business Council Executive Director Joe Murphy said the figures that Trone Garriott used came from the organization's 2021 Iowa Competitive Dashboard Report, published in February, which uses U.S. Census data. So the data that was used there is from 2019, so the figures in the report don't reflect the most recent census data, but that's faced some delays with gathering just because of the pandemic. So the Census Bureau has only released the vintage 2020 estimates on May 4th, um, which is just days after this debate over House House File 802, so, you know, Trone Garriott wouldn't have had those numbers. Yeah, and and those numbers, the vintage 2020 estimates, are compared with the 2020 census to gauge the accuracy of the official Census Bureau estimates. So yeah, so let's take a look at the first part of Trone Garriott's statement about Iowa's overall uh, negative overall net migration. The council's report does support her claim that Iowa saw negative overall net migration for the year And the 2,348 figure quantifies that difference, but the amount of people who left Iowa was actually higher. Census data for net migration from the one-year period running from July 1st, 2018 to July 1st, 
2019 reflects the international migration of 2,663 individuals from native and foreign-born populations to the state. So that means like that amount of people came into Iowa from native and foreign-born populations from outside the U.S. And then that was, you know, kind of counteracted by the domestic migration of 5,011 individuals who left the state. So since we have, we lost a greater number of people to other states, and that exceeded Iowa's gain of international migrants, um, which resulted in a negative overall net migration of 2,348 people. And that measurement, I wanted to just make it clear that that shouldn't be confused with population change, which accounts for births and deaths, as well as net migration shifts. So if you're looking at that figure, Iowa saw its population increase by 6,452 that year. So yeah, even though, um, you know, more around 5,000 individuals left the state, Trone Garriott, since she says up front that she's referring to overall net negative, negative net migration, you know, looking at that 2,348 figure, she would be correct in, in referring to that, that, you know, overall, that amount of people left Iowa. Um, so gave her an A for that claim. Um, and then moving on to the next part of the claim, we'll check whether Iowa ranks 45th among states in ethnic diversity. So according to the American Community Survey, which is a demographic survey program under the Census Bureau, 85.1% of Iowans are white and not Hispanic or Latino. Only five states are less ethnically diverse with higher percentages of white, non-Hispanic, or Latino residents. And those states are Maine with 94%, Montana, 88%, New Hampshire, 92.6%, Vermont, 93.8%, and West Virginia, 93.1%. So um, since there's just five states ahead of Iowa, that's correct. Iowa does rank near the bottom of the 50 states in the nation for ethnic diversity, um, coming in at 45th. So she gets, uh, Trungariot gets an A for that as well. So um, to wrap things up here, um, she is on the mark with her claims about negative overall net migration in Iowa and about the state's low rank in ethnic diversity compared with the rest of the nation. So for spot on accuracy and her use of credible sources, uh, the, fact check, the fact checker gave her an A overall. Yeah, I think it... It's nice to have one that is um, is so clear cut, um, you know, with with data to check. I just was gonna. Um, it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, that she she probably I don't know. Maybe we don't know this. It seems like in her head she knows she's referring to net migration, but what she said was people leaving the state, and that number is actually almost twice as high. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So we should probably say in there, and and maybe, and you do, is that, you know, she's, I think that you had said that she misspoke and that's probably accurate, but her, I think we should just make clear that her misspeaking was not overemphasizing the um, situation. If anything, it was underemphasizing, you know, understating the the situation that if she was talking about net migration it's correct but if she, if it's the number that she was saying she was talking about people leaving the state it would actually be more than 5000 so it's not like i just wouldn't want people to read it and and think like oh she misspoke to make her cause look better you know yeah cuz cuz i mean really the way that she misspoke 
too, which is why I think it makes sense to not ding her for that. Um, is it the the way she misspoke is understating it, which doesn't help the Democratic case, you know, because more people actually left the state. So, but yeah, so I, I think that that's worth calling out. I agree. Yeah. And I think it's also kind of worth noting that she did kind of immediately mean preface that with that mean talking about this net migration. So while she didn't in that sentence phrase it mean exactly as net migration, it's plausible to assume that as she's talking about losing these folks that she could be in trying to make that point about net migration and just didn't have exactly the right words for it. And it makes sense to use the net migration number, I think, rather than just saying the total number, because then the response to the argument obviously would be like, well, sure, this many people left the state, but this many people came to the state. Um, but I agree, kind of the maybe misspeaking, it, it's not enough to, to dock that grade in my mind. No, I agree. And I think this claim reminds me of when um, former Governor Branstead always used to talk about the number of jobs that had been created in the state. And he would talk about just the jobs created, not the jobs eliminated. And so um, the fact checker would always ding him because when you looked at net jobs, it was much less, you know, so I, uh, I think that it is important to, to be looking at the net number. And I agree with the grade. I actually agree with the grade on both claims. Yeah. I just had a quick question on this first claim, if I might. So do we know like the demographics of the people leaving the state and the people coming to the state? I know you use the term within this, Marissa, um, like domestic migration versus like migration of native and foreign born populations to the state. Um, I, I guess I'm curious what do we have like a good idea of what these demographics are? I didn't know if the data presented that. Yeah, at, at least like the figures that I saw in, in the table that the um, that the Iowa Business Council report was referencing specifically, they didn't break it down by demographics. They did just have the international versus domestic. And um, yeah, that's not as like demographic specific as it is a reference to like where people are coming from when they're um, leaving Iowa mm -hmm. or coming to Iowa. But yeah, no, that, that's an interesting point. I don't know. I was just curious because she sort of is making the argument here that like Iowa is not as diverse as it, as it could be or should be, which is kind of with this argument with the, the training. Um, and so I was just sort of like thinking that in my head, you know, okay, well, if more people maybe from other countries are coming into the state, like when that, like be a good thing and and why would we maybe necessarily be worried about more people leaving maybe the argument is that like not enough people are coming from from different backgrounds um i don't think that ultimately affects the fact check i was just sort of like curious in my own mind like listening to her argument and kind of reading the fact check that was sort of lingering in the back of my head yeah and well that actually brings up kind of an interesting point because i mean the 5011 people who are leaving are leaving iowa they're staying within the country so there's no international migration um with with that figure but you know it shows that they're leaving iowa for other states and then we're getting you know more migrants into iowa from international locations which doesn't necessarily only mean that like immigrants are choosing to live in iowa like that also includes like people who serve in the armed forces and other things like that but yeah just with some of the stories we're seeing about 
people moving to Texas and kind of how things are shaking out with apportionment um, and where people are headed. Yeah, it's interesting to look at. And I'm glad also that you included that the population did increase because I think a lot of people have been looking at those population change numbers and could get maybe a little confused when they see net migration is down, even though Iowa's population went up and kept its four congressional districts. So um, I'm glad that you included that information there to kind of reduce any confusion. And as far as the second one, um, I definitely agree with that That second um, grade two about the 45th and ethnic diversity. I think the census data is straightforward and she is correct in that. Yeah, I agree as well. I think this is kind of as straightforward for both parts mm-hmm. as it seems like we've had kind of in a while, whereas they're both kind of textbook A's here. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's pretty rare to get someone citing, like, you know, something that relies on census data. Um, so, that yeah, it's graded and it made for a pretty straightforward fact check. So it's rare, but nice to see. You love it when things work out super well and then the numbers match and the data matches. Yeah. Well, um, I know that we had talked about a couple of potential claims for next week. Um, I'm just going to pull those up here so we can uh, just discuss this. Um, There were some that um, Marissa, you had mentioned um, from Ashley Henson, Representative Ashley Henson in the first district. Um, she talks about uh, uh, the Biden administration's agenda, particularly related to um, immigration and other issues. And as part of that, she says that uh, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have not been to the border um, to kind of check out that situation. So I think that's potentially um, that's verifiable. Some of the other statements in there may have be have too much opinion to kind of be able to to verify them um and then john you had a claim too do you want to mention that one yeah so there are a lot of statements being made this week as governor reynolds announced that iowa would stop participating in federal unemployment programs and one of them came from matt sinovic the executive director of progress iowa a liberal advocacy group that said that Reynolds, quote, has made it easier for landlords to evict tenants, turn down resources to protect kids in schools, and bungled the state's response to the pandemic. And that last part really is not something that we could objectively mean. What does bungled the state's response to the pandemic exactly mean? But those other two, I mean, are things that we could objectively check, whether she's made it easier for landlords to evict tenants and whether she's turned down resources to protect kids in schools. One thing I wonder is whether Matt Sinovic qualifies as someone we can check. I mean, he's uh, executive director of Progress Iowa, but he's not an elected official and he's not like a department head. But I'm trying to think if we've checked other groups. We did check AFSME recently, which would kind of fall into a similar camp of not being an elected official. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't know. Is there is that a precedent we want to set, like checking advocacy organizations? 
I don't know. I mean, it potentially could open the door and are we less, I mean, could open the door to like too many potential claims. I mean, I think in the AFSCME case, we were really kind of checking both the Department of Corrections numbers and AFSCME's numbers. And it was, you know, data driven. I don't know. And it was timely too, given the conversation and the the current events that was happening at that time. Um, but this, I, I can see the argument for this too, because the, the unemployment conversation is also very timely. I don't know. I guess I'm of the stance that maybe it should stick to like elected officials or maybe sort of state agencies. Um, but I don't know if people feel strongly the other way or if this is maybe an exception to that rule. Um, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think that we do kind of risk kind of opening Pandora's box to a lot of checks. I mean, there are a lot of advocacy groups on both sides of the aisle. And I mean, that could maybe open things up to maybe too many that I mean we could feasibly check. So if we focus on the people who I mean people are actually voting into office or I mean department heads, et cetera, um, that may be a better approach. Well, not just necessarily, you know, the number of checks too, but I'm just sort of thinking like elected officials and state agencies, we have to hold to a certain standard too. Um, and mm-hmm. so it makes sense to kind of focus fact checking efforts on those kind of organizations, just in my mind. Yeah. I mean, our resources are limited here. I mean, the four of us are incredibly, um, you know, productive, but uh, we may want to focus just on those kind of our original criteria. Um, and the AFSCME check, I admit I did that one. It probably opened the door just a tiny crack. So maybe we can have some flexibility if there's something. But I, I do think that that one was a little different from this, too, in that it's the, you know, the state's one of the state's largest labor unions and and very connected with the correction, correction, correctional workers. And as you bring up being kind of one of the largest unions, that, I mean, that is to some extent, while they aren't an elected official in terms of in government office, they are a public leader. I mean, when they do represent I mean, as many people as they do, you don't necessarily have that with, say, a Progress Iowa, where it isn't like, I mean, this is I mean, somebody that is representing a I mean, large chunk of Iowans. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Marissa, are you good with that? Yeah, I agree too. Okay. Well, I'll I'll be I'll take a crack at the um Hinson claims for next week and we can just be keeping our eyes open for something else in the future. And if anybody has any fact checks out there that they want us to check, you know how to reach us. And if you don't, the email is factchecker at the gazette.com. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap on this week's fact check. Our our fact checks are edited by Craig Jamolis. Our podcasts are produced by Stephen Colbert, and our music is Lobby Time by Kevin McLeod. My name is Marissa Payne. And I'm Erin Jordan. I'm Michaela Ram. And I'm John Steffi. Well, next time, fact check you later.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.